Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I got Elias Randall back here again. Biggest news of the weekend. You ready for it? Sure. Taylor Swift was a no-show at the Chiefs game. Dude, I actually I watched that game <laughs> yesterday, and I I thought it's kind of nice that we don't have to look at Taylor Swift every other play. Dude, the, the NFL was just – I get it. It's good free marketing for them, but come on. Is like, Kelsey's jersey the number one jersey sales? It's got to be. It has to be. Did you see at the Eagles game? Was it the Eagles game? No, it was the Vikings game yesterday. Yeah, it was Chiefs-Vikings up in Okay, Minnesota. it was the Chiefs-Vikings, but there was a bunch of Vikings fans that had Swifty jerseys on. The Taylor well, Swift dude, is she's, called Swifty. She's far more popular than Travis, Travis Kelsey. Kelsey. Yeah, I mean, he's popular if you're a football fan. Everyone knows him, but Taylor Swift, there's people all over the world that listen to her music. So, you know, my wife, she's on social media, and she goes, everybody's, like, speculating that they're not together now. My wife's like... She's busy. She doesn't have time to go watch yeah, Sunday football. She skipped one football <laughs> game, so now they broke up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I thought that was the big news of the weekend. Um, I didn't watch it all day on Saturday, the highlights of Taylor Swift and who she's hanging out with. Uh, but I got to listen to it on the way to school this morning because that is my daughter's favorite musician, and we have to listen to it all the time. Here's the ironic thing about it, though, Elias. My girls like to trick mom into listening to the words that have the naughty word or listening to the songs that have the naughty that are words not in edited it. for kids. How yeah. do they do that? Well, like mom play this song. And then I can see him in the review mirror and they're all like smiling, waiting for the naughty word to come on. But it's super funny. Like, Oh, she just said the bad word. <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's fun. That's great. That's yeah. The Swifties. Which, here's how crazy that is. So, your girls, Taylor Swift is their favorite. As a high schooler, for me, which is a long time ago now, almost 17 years, she was a favorite of high school girls when I was in high school. So, think of her, like, just her reach to fans and well, an audience. So, think about, like, a Cher or a Madonna. What's Cher, like, 70-some years old? She's still yeah. performing. But that kind of leads into the next thing. I don't know where Taylor Swift falls on this. But uh, they just recently released the Forbes Richest 400 People. And, and I know, know people caught light of this. Cause I, did Donald Trump fall out of this? The Richest 400? Yeah. I don't know. I have he no fell idea. out. or I ignore news about politicians. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. He fell out of it. So it was like news. But I think what I saw out of this, the 400 Richest Americans, with the exception, I think, of four people, the rest massively increased their worth. In fact... The richest people in America are $500 billion richer today than they were a year ago. They hold about $4.5 trillion of wealth, um, and that was setting a 2021 record. Now, this list started in 1982 just to kind of list, hey, who are the top people? And back then, Daniel Ludwig was the number one spot with $2 billion. So the richest person in 1982 had $2 billion. Today, That's Elon Musk is the richest with $251 billion. Yeah, that's nuts to even just think about, I mean, just the size of the pie, how it's grown, how our markets have grown and matured, and um, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of money out there. So here's one of my takeaways from this that, that I really think about, and I've mentioned this before. I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but I know I've mentioned it with you. 
that what's really happened since the pandemic is there is this much larger gap between the wealthy and the lowing, you know, lower net worth people. And, and the reason is, you know, if you think about what's happened, this inflation has caught fire in America. It's still here. It hasn't gone away. Housing prices are still going up. But people that have assets benefit from inflation. Correct. They don't and they're not punished when rates go higher. Higher interest no. rates marginally punished. I mean, if you're worth a billion dollars, doesn't matter if the interest rates is 23 percent. Doesn't matter. You don't have to borrow. Well, you have a billion for your, dollars for your liquid money, you can get safer return. Right. But for so it's not a bad thing for people our age yeah. or younger, you know, last 20 years, you know, People in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, they experience just the best borrowing rates of all time, virtually zero. Mortgages that are 2 3 and 4%, which are significantly lower than historical norms. Now we're normalizing, but it's going to be a lot harder for people to borrow money to buy homes and build equity and get assets. And that's how you build net worth is through assets, whether it's investments or land or real estate, whatever it is, assets build worth. Um, and most people have to borrow to get get some type of asset other than if they're, you know, obviously saving a 401k, but to get real estate. But I thought that was really interesting, the the disparity that that's becoming prevalent in that. And one of the things, you know, that I think it's fun to look at, Elias, is what can you learn from the people that are worth a billion dollars? And one thing I've learned is most of these people that are worth a billion dollars own a business. Let, let's be completely yeah. frank with everybody watching the show. You're not going to accumulate a billion dollars in your 401k. <laughs> likely you won't. I mean, let's be honest. Likely you won't accumulate 10 million or five. It's very hard to do. You have to start maxing it out. So early. super, super early in your career. And I'm not saying you can't that. accumulate that through savings, but I'm talking about a 401k in particular. You know, if you go look at 401k balances, if somebody gets three million in, in an individual 401k, they they hit a home run. Well, and that also means they were doing the max contribution for a long time early in their career, and that's why it is hard because there's a limit. You can't just put a hundred thousand in it. Yes, day. that's why it gets hard for people to accumulate massive wealth just in a 401k. I mean, obviously, you know, it's one of the key components of building wealth, but I think it's one of the Ramsey studies that look back like people who, you know, built wealth up to 10 million, they own a little real estate and they have a maxed out 401k. That's how they get there. You know, the first yeah. $10 million It's how most people actually get there. Probably the most, um, like accessible or attainable way, right? Being a good saver and buying some property because the savings part, that's, you can control that. You can contribute to it. And then the property, you can get financed to, it's easier to get financing to buy some real estate, right? Yeah. Than potentially start a business. You may have a great idea, but good luck getting the funding for it. I mean, there's avenues to do it, but there's more to it than buying a building. So, or a house for that matter. I think we've done this before, but today's going to be fun. We're just going to hit a quick list of a few different billionaires, what we can learn from most of those people. And the first one's Warren Buffett. He's probably one of the most famous ones other than like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Everybody knows who Warren Buffett is. Oracle of Omaha. He's number four on the, 400, the Forbes 400 list. Net worth of $121 billion. Here's what I love about Warren Buffett. He still lives in the house he's lived at for like the last 30 years. 
this man is not concerned with keeping up with the Joneses and making money to flaunt it. He lives his life. He just loves buying good companies. I was actually watching a YouTube video maybe a week ago. And it was like Warren Buffett's how he talked about the stock market. And when he started, he was trying to pick stocks that he thought would go up in value. And he said, I didn't become a great investor until I went and read this book called The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, which, of course, I went and ordered it right after. And I think that's my second copy I have, but I don't remember reading the first where it's at. So I got it again. But he said, when I started looking at companies, I started buying great companies, not dependent upon what the stock price was going to do. That's when I became wealthy. That was the difference. I was only buying great companies because stock prices arbitrate an individual point in time. Yeah. And I think, I think Charlie Munger too had a lot to do with influencing him that way. Um, which I think kind of the, you know, for at least my understanding of Warren Buffett's career, he became less concerned about the, the stock price at the time when you decide to buy. One of the things Warren Buffett always talks about is you should learn about money. And he was once quoted saying, risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. But here's what a better one is. Charlie Munger actually said, you should go to bed smarter than you woke up. If everybody thought about that and lived their daily life, that today I have to learn one thing new. Which, how do we learn new things, Elias? There's only one way we really learn. There's, there's a couple ways, but primarily, how do we learn new things? Just being engaged with the material. I don't know. You read. Reading. Yeah. You're reading. Reading and watching. Observing. You're reading or you're getting trained. Yeah. Because if, if I come in this office and I go through my normal routine of the day, what are the chances I actually learn something new that's meaningful? I might have a new like situation. But did I really engage and learn something new? And I think that's really good advice because you're making yourself better. I think I, I heard a, I heard Dave Ramsey say it on one of his shows one time. You know, the difference between you in 2023 and 2024, it's really going to be the books that you read. Who said that? Ramsey? Yeah. Years ago, I heard it on one of his on one of his radio shows. If you think about it, you know, the books you read are going to make a difference in what you do over the next 12 months. And now what's interesting about books is books have turned into tablets and phones. While I don't take a book out and flip the pages a lot, I read a lot of material on my phone. You know, I'm on Bloomberg every day reading all the articles that interest me, and you know, I'm ordering books that I hear that I like. So I think the, first, the number one thing you can take away from Warren Buffett is just try to learn. Learn about money. Find one thing that makes you better. And uh, the last piece of advice I'll leave you with from Warren Buffett is never invest in a business you cannot understand. That goes with investments too. If you know there's a complicated product, you can't quite grasp it, there's always another option. Now, you don't have to have full understanding of how the S&P 500 works to buy an index fund, right? I no, mean, but in you don't general, need to get under the hood. It, yeah. But if you get into something really complex, you should have a general understanding of how it works before you say, yep, let's pull the trigger here. Another, uh, here's one of the most favorite billionaires and he's number two now, Jeff, uh, Jeff Bezos. He's worth 161 billion. 
I bet he's worth one hundred sixty-one billion and eight hundred dollars after last night. And eight? Why do you say well, that? Was I ordered it? a bunch of stuff on Amazon last night. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. He he thanks you, Jeff. Thanks you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was actually number one. He had a good run, twenty eighteen to twenty twenty one. And there was a few things I liked from his lessons. He talks really about philosophy, being a long term investor emotions and how that can impact your day-to-day just decision making and then he also talked about if you're going to be a long-term investor don't be a renter like you need to be what he's saying is you need to be convicted in what you're doing and so I thought for you know really what I started thinking about our firm we have a philosophy It's been very successful for a long time. I would argue that our most successful families, they buy into it. They understand the philosophy. They know, they know we're not going to change and get off script, right? Like they know what they're getting, getting from us. I have a great example of this. Yeah. Right now, this year, let me back up. I'll say 2022. If you bought value type investments, dividend paying investments, you did better than the stock market in 2022, better than just the S and P 500, right? Correct. This year, if you own dividend-paying ETFs, you're lagging. You're lagging yeah. significantly. And why? If you look at the S and P 500, most of the gains are made up of a few companies. In fact, I just I was listening to the Compound the other day. So the S and P 500 is market cap weighted, which means the size of your company determines your weighting of the S and P 500. So there's two two indices you could look at. The, the S&P 500 index or the equal weighted S&P 500 index. And the equal weighted, they give each company the exact same percentage of the index. So a 500th Five, in the ballpark yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. How much is the equal weighted index up here to date? It might not be. It's basically flat. Yeah. So if you owned an equal amount of all of the companies in the S&P 500, you've had a flat year. So if you take out these larger companies or really growth companies, which got punished last year, you don't look that great. So, but does that mean because you have a year where you have an asset class that's lagging, that did better the year before, you should bail on that asset class and get out of it? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. No. Because what's going to happen? Look at the Callan chart. If you don't know what a Callan chart is, we'll throw one up on the website, but it shows the year... The annual returns of all these different asset classes over, like, let's say the last 10 or 15 years. Guess the wor- one of the worst asset classes was last year. Growth. Guess what the best is and this it's year? Growth this year. There you go. Right. If it was the worst one year, it might be the best the next. It, it's funny how you see it, but guess what happens in the middle? If you stick with your strategy, you just get this average line. Yeah, it works. It all out. comes back to it's, it's reversion to the mean. Eli, let's move on to. One of the most famous billionaires, and honestly, somebody's really changed the fabric, in my opinion, of society, because he was the first person to really bring social media to the forefront, and people utilize his platform all the time, Mark Zuckerberg. He's number eight on the list. He's the founder of Facebook, now called Meta. He actually had an article that outlined his four tips for financial security. That, that he kind of came up with. And the number one thing he thinks is important, which is so interesting because it, it aligns with Warren Buffett, continuous learning. 
continuous learning. You know, it's a process. It's a philosophy that just extends to make everything better. So the more you can educate yourself on financial literacy, budgeting, saving, investing, the better off you're going to, you're going to do financially, but the better you're going to feel there's a level of heightened financial confidence that comes with more knowledge. And if you could just say, Hey, every day I'm going to try to learn one little thing. Doesn't mean you have to master it. Just learn one thing. What's the difference between compound interest and simple interest? Easy. Good question. Yeah. What's the difference between APR and APY? You get just learn these little tiny things. And as, as you start to grow, you'll feel much more confident and better about money and how you treat it. The second financial tip for security he had was diversify your income sources. And this is hard for people because most people rely on a single income source, which is their job to live on. And if you have a full-time job, how do you start diversifying it? You know, we've, we've seen the rise in the last 10 years of what I call the gig economy where, Hey, you know, you could have a regular job, but maybe you have something on the side. Um, especially if you don't have a job that, you know, you'll always have, not everybody has a secure job. You know, they don't know what's going to happen. So you could have a side business, you could have investments that provide dividends that pay uh, passive income, or you could even have real estate or something else. So diversify income sources, invest for the long terms. Number three, we definitely believe in that. The more money you invest, you let it grow, you start to build assets and four, have an emergency fund. And what's beautiful about the four things that, that Zuckerberg outlined is that they're all simple. The hardest one on here is diversifying income sources. Building an emergency fund, that's not hard. You just have to be convicted in it. Investing for the long term, that's just mentally knowing, hey, I'm not going to make rash decisions. I'm in it for the long term. And continuous learning, that's just literally waking up and say, what's the one thing I'm going to learn? The hardest thing on here is figuring out how to diversify your income sources. Yes, hardest one. And you can, pro you can accomplish... Um financial success with without doing that right like if you work a job you do you have an emergency fund you save your money it's very possible you could work at the same place for 40 years and never have an issue no right? but, but if we're talking about building i think this is the mindset that's different between a billionaire and the person who just goes to work and has a job i agree with that he's he's thinking two and three steps ahead He's got a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D based upon what happens. And he's not letting, he's controlling what he can control. Right? Hmm? No, you can't, if you have an employer, you can't control what happens to that company. Except for the only thing you can control is your effort, that you show up, do what you're told, you do the best job you can at your job. That's all you can control. But if you think about what a billionaire has mindset is like. He's saying, well, what can't I control in this situation? And if I can't control it, how do I figure out how to capitalize on it or limit the risk? So could be, hey, I'm going to start a side business. I'm going to have a rental property. But yeah, and, I, and then if I lose my job, well, hey, great, I can fall back on this until this comes to fruition. But I think it's just unique. Yeah, you don't have to have it to have financial security. But if you think about how billionaires think, they're thinking differently. 
Yes. They're 100% putting themselves in a mindset that they take risk, but they're calculated. They're not just throwing it to the dark. I agree with that. So I think that's that's the one thing that I that I take away is that all these other three are easy. That's the hard one. Yeah. That's one that takes a level of effort that's beyond an eight to five job, right? Because you're gonna have to go home in your free time, work on the business, work on the rental properties, do the side gig. That's the one that probably takes people to the next level. Correct. Yes. All those things. True. Can you achieve a decent level? By having an eight to five and just being smart with your money, surely, right? Yeah, you can. And so I don't. I would don't. One here's one thing we see, and especially you know whether it's YouTube videos or whatever. There's right. There's advice like that. To me, that's the next level of advice. You want to go from being like, um, you know, a middle high high middle class or whatever you want to consider it. But I think these other things, because sometimes, especially younger people, you talk to them and they're more focused on that. Like, well, I'm going to work. I'm going to have a rental property. I'm going to have this. Okay, that's fine. But there, to me, there are times that's putting the cart before the horse. Let's get these other fundamental things put in place. Sure. Well, you should have an emergency fund before you're out there buying a rental property. No question yes. about yeah. that. Yeah, and re- recently someone, I had a conversation with a – young guy getting started out and he's in sales somewhere and they've got him convinced that saving in the 401k is malarkey and rich people don't do that. And I'm like, okay, I agree, but let's talk about your situation. Are you rich today? Well, no, let's put in some of these habits. That'll get you there. Well, right. Whether that 401k ends up being your biggest asset or not, it's a different conversation. Do you remember the plan we did about three years ago? We had a, when I mention the plan, you'll you'll know which one I'm talking about. Okay. Husband and wife. Wife had really good job. Husband had a good job. Debt free. They're kicking butt. Wanted to know if they should buy a rental property. Okay. And we said, well, why don't we run a financial plan to determine if you're on track doing what you're doing now from a contribution standpoint, all those different things. So we did that. They were on track. Then we said, what's your discretionary income? What's your discretionary savings amount? Because our choice was take the extra money, invest it, or take the extra money and buy a rental property. Correct. And we ran the plan and we came up with the exact amount of money they could allocate. Exact, let me say, general amount of money, because exact is, there's no exact, general amount of money that they could allocate to this rental property as long as they kept doing these steps in their 401ks and their Roth IRAs and all the other things they were doing, we were able to quantify for them whether they should buy the rental property or not. And I don't know if they did, but we said, hey, if you have the $3,000 extra per month to afford the rental property with nobody renting it, you're good to go. And that's how they made their decision. I don't know what they did. You might know. I don't think. I think they ultimately decided the headache wasn't worth yeah, whatever but, it was going to create for them, right? But, but you know, this is back in 2020 or 21 when you know buying real estate and passive income was all over YouTube. Yeah. Um. But for them, that's a good way to quantify it. You know, can I afford to buy a rental property? It's not sacrificing your standard retirement stuff. 
it's in addition to, and can you afford it without any cash flow? Because I actually think we're going to see some stuff in the next 12 to 18 months, maybe 24 months, where people have bought VRBOs thinking they're going to cash flow, and they're going to be in trouble. Couple I, reasons. Yeah, HOA, I, HOA fees are going up. So on our condo, the HOA fee went up like 800 bucks a quarter. Well, the people that bought these factor that in. Fewer people are probably going to vacation. Like everybody's going to purge all this vacationing out of their system, all the stuff they didn't get to do for two years during COVID. They're going to purge it all eventually. Right. And I'll give you a good example. My wife's like, where are we going this week? I'm like, I'm ready to just chill out. I don't need to go anywhere. We've been on Can this like marathon. Can we just stay home? That's why I said we've been on this marathon, like going all these different places. And they're just like a day here, a night here, you know, Kansas City. Or she wanted to go to the Great Wolf Lodge for a night. I'm like in Madison, I'm like, can we just stay here? I got the look, but I don't know. I, I think that, you know, a lot of people bought real estate thinking they're going to have all this cash flow from it and there's no expense. And. We'll see what happens with that. But a lot of it was fueled by TikTok videos, YouTube videos. You know, do you remember when Zillow would just buy your house sight unseen? I do remember talking about that. Never, no, never step foot in the house. Just we'll buy it. I had a client who sold one. They're in Colorado. To they sold Zillow. the house to Zillow. They'd never step foot in the house. Easy, easy sale. Yep. The flip side of that, too, is people that are in the real estate business because they'll ask well so what's your they just want to it's like a little test or whatever but what's your opinion on real estate and a lot of times i'll just want them to laugh a little bit so i'll say well it's a lot harder than it looks on youtube right because they know the reality that people are watching videos yeah. and then they think it's easy and anyone involved in it knows it's not an easy business there's headaches that come with it there's skills that you need to have to be able to do it Here's what's ironic about real estate investing. They're exactly the same thing. When you buy stock, when you're buying property. Trying to one's get the easier. Same. Yeah, one's easier. Yeah. Okay. Buying investments is easier than buying physical properties. Also why, if you look at like a cap rate of return on buying physical property, it may be higher. Go find a person investing in real estate. They're not doing anything in the stock market because they think they can do better. And arguably, maybe they are, but you can't discount the effort and the time that people are putting in to manage that. Correct, and, I, and there's an argument to be made for diversification, even for those people, that some of their dollars should be directed towards the capital markets. I mean, why not? Well, there's some tax advantage to it. There's tax advantage in real estate too, but once again, you're right, what happens if prices sink or you don't have renters like it's all about diversification having you know less eggs in one basket um i'm gonna skip down the list because i think this is really cool michael jordan made the forbes list for the first time this year he's at number 359 379 with a net worth of three billion dollars and here's what's bananas about it when jordan was in, in the nba actually playing None of these big contracts existed. I mean, I don't even know what the biggest contract he ever signed was, but some of these guys are making that in a year now. He was doing like 33, 35 million, like mid $30 million contracts at the end of his career. I'm, I'm looking it up. 
He was the first person to sign a contract worth over twenty million. He earned thirty three million ninety seven to ninety eight. But that's just bananas that he got a three billion dollar net worth. Three billion. But look around. And he only made he only he only made ninety five million playing basketball. Like that's like that's like uh, sixth man off the bench money nowadays. <laughs> hey, it is. It's, yeah, I know. Michael. He, hey, after the bench tax, guys are getting paid Michael Jordan money now. I remember the after tax ninety five billion is like fifty, <laughs> and he got to three billion. But why? If you go out today, his shoes are his shoes actually might be more popular today. They they could be, and they're like they're. Uh, a collector item too. The older ones are. It's almost like collectible cars in a way. It's it's really crazy. Okay, so I, I there was um, I don't know who it was. I don't remember who it was. Someone was having the argument about who's better, LeBron or Jordan. It's always going to be an argument. Better at what? But basketball. Who's 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 the greatest of all time? I'm talking about who the goat is. And, okay. the, and I don't I don't remember who it was. Someone will find it on YouTube. Hopefully one of our listeners finds it. Someone just said, when was the last time you saw someone get killed over a pair of LeBrons? That's right? not a good way to answer the Well, no, but it has nothing to do with basketball. Dude, people were robbing people to get their Jordan shoes. No one's ever been robbed over a pair of LeBrons. <laughs> I don't even think I would wear them. I'd wear a pair. I'd wear a pair of Jordans. But. but, but point exactly like you know not everything is just like numbers when you have somebody who's so popular that he made 95 million dollars playing basketball but amassed a net worth of three billion dollars he's the greatest of all time like point blank greatest of all time yeah i i agree with that just if there was a draft and you're gonna pick anybody are you gonna? Are you really gonna? Number one, take, you get the number one pick. Who are you taking? Yeah, you're not taking. In their prime, I'm not. I'm not taking LeBron. I'm taking Michael Jordan. I'm taking him over everyone. Even Larry Bird, I would take him over Larry Bird. You're taking and Magic every Johnson time. every time, and Wilt Chamberlain every time. I but I thought would. that was cool. He finally made the list. Congratulations, Michael Jordan. All right, Elias, let's skip down uh, to another really famous person. Number six on the list worth $111 billion, Bill Gates. We all know who Bill Gates is. What's his? What do you think his number one kind of money lesson is or financial lesson we can take away? He, he, had, some, he had some good ones when you read through this. And then he also had, you know, this is like a typical businessman. You got to control the things you can control response um but one of his quotes if you were born poor it's not your mistake but if you die poor it's your it's it is your mistake you can always start investing to grow your wealth and i i think that's one of those things that's kind of the uh it's kind of a harsh reality of um of money and of our economy and how it works here in america is you know really regardless of circumstance, everyone does have the same opportunity to learn and grow and do things and make decisions certainly about their money. And I'm not someone who, you know, I don't think, I don't think money is the, the key to life, right? It makes the world go around. Um, 
you know, when people say things like, oh, money doesn't buy happiness, I agree with that. Um, just having it right to have it is somewhat greedy, but you need it to get by day to day. There's plenty of things you can buy with it that you will enjoy, right? So it is part of your happiness. It might not be the only key to it, but it is part of it. And I think a lot of people can relate to that too, because even if you look at, you know, Dave Ramsey every year has his millionaire study. Well, what's one thing almost all millionaires have in common? They're, it's first generation. And there's that's another misconception, I think, about wealth in America is a lot of people think the wealthy are just beneficiaries of other people who are wealthy. Now, that is true. Like if, if you're a grandchild of Bill Gates, if you're a grandchild of Warren Buffett, of uh, the Walton family, Alice Walton's on this list, are you – you were born into the haves, right? Like you just always have. But that's a small percentage of people. The, the reality is most new wealth in America, most new millionaires, it's the first time, first generation. So what does that mean? It means they were born poor and they made decisions to help them build wealth and to do things, whether it was work. And that includes working and saving in a 401k and investment accounts. That also includes people who start businesses. Um, but... The other thing he said about setting goals and having a clear vision and executing it, you know, if you take the time to have a plan and execute the strategy, you can ultimately get to financial freedom. Well, it, it lends to a lot of stuff we talk about having a plan, doing the basics right, controlling what you can control. You know, it really leads into the next family. And um, this is 19 on the list, the Mars family. So, probably familiar because of Mars candy bars, but they own a lot of different things. But one of the things that you can take away from this family is that they live a relatively frugal lifestyle and they raise their kids the same way. Um, in fact, they actually live in a condo today, affordable condo. So somebody worth 38.9 billion, you expect that they'd, you know, be out spending all kinds of money, but they have a condo they live in. They have a, a state of New Jersey that's worth $2 million. And $2 million used to sound like a lot. $2 million's not a lot anymore for real estate. Certainly when you're not worth $38 billion, $2 million is not a lot of money. Right. Not and even close. they have a $6 million farm in Virginia. Well, what's a $6 million farm get you? About in Iowa, about 800 acres. <laughs> I mean, it's not that big. So, but to get to the point of, if, if you're not a business owner or if you're just trying to get to the first generation millionaire, you can get that by living frugally and executing a plan, doing the 401k, the Roth IRA, all the things you just talked about. That's out there for every single person. And while, yeah, if you're born into a poor family, do you have the same, let's call it edge, right? Mom and dad maybe don't have money to loan you. Like, you're going to have to go put some grit and work and grind to get it, but you can get it. Yeah, is it easier if you're born into a family with five million bucks? Sure it is, because mom and dad can throw you the $100,000 to start your business, and there's advantages. But it doesn't mean you have to be a, you have to be a, you know, subject to your circumstance. Just no, and it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you have to stay there. Everybody has choices. 
It's all about just laying out a plan. It doesn't matter if your plans to start a business or to retire or to become a billionaire. You got to lay a plan out first. Nothing happens without a vision, a plan, and a way to execute the plan. I actually think that's a good way to end the show. It was kind of fun today. Congratulations to Michael Jordan on making the list. He's my all-time favorite athlete, just for full disclosure. Uh, I really I, hope I hope he hears the congratulations. Come on, Jordan. Because that means he watches our show. I guarantee he does not watch the show, but it would be awesome if he did, uh, be. does. If anybody's looking for any help, you can go to btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to help you guys out. Uh, go ahead and look to follow us on social, on Facebook, YouTube. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.